The Star Blades, the Sheffield United podcast from the Star in Sheffield. There they are. After playing a game of hide and seek since the restart, we've finally found the real Sheffield United. Welcome to the Star Blades, where we're breathing a bit of a sigh of relief after United's superb win over Jose Mourinho's Tottenham. More on Jose in a bit. I'm Liam Morden, and joining me first is the star long-serving Blades writer, James Shield. How are things, James? Hello there, I'm good. And you, Liam? Yeah, not too bad, Tom. Not too bad. You enjoying yourself after after last night? A, a, a decent decent win against a, a team I know you like to see beaten on a uh, on a regular occasion. <laughs> yeah, it was a double whammy that one, wasn't it? But I'll tell you what, Liam, it was it was a more than decent win. That I actually think it was their I think that was their best win of the season, let alone project restart, as we've all liked to call it. I think that was uh, I think it was a phenomenal result. And a phenomenal performance in the circumstances. Uh, you know, when you look at who wasn't available for Sheffield United last night, I think that can uh, that can really kickstart the the rest of the season for them. So yeah, absolutely brilliant result and all good. Everything in the gardens rosy again, isn't it? Excellent, excellent. Also joining us, it's the Stars football editor Chris Hall. How are things, Chris? All right, Liam. Yeah, dead on. Are you quite as upbeat as James? Yeah, it was just nice to see it. I mean, there's there's no hiding in the fact that it's been disappointing just because of the high standards that they'd set themselves in, you know, before football had, had shut down. So it was just nice to see that that flow come back into them again. And, and um, yeah, nice for Chris to have a smile on his face after a match again. Yeah, yeah. Just before we kick off in earnest, we are recording on the video conferencing site, so uh, apologies in advance for any audio issues. Uh, I know we can't wait to be all huddled around a microphone again together uh, to get all this sorted out. But it, it has been more than a week since we've, we've last spoke, James. Um, so we, let's touch on that FA Cup game against Arsenal all those days ago. Um, off the back of that kind of disappointing restart, was that the kind of game where there were signs that United were kind of getting back to uh, to something like where they were before? Yeah, absolutely. And they, they needed to as well because, as you quite rightly said, and as Chris Wilder has quite rightly said, and to be fair to them as well, as I think you know, pretty much every player that we've all interviewed has quite rightly said after every game, the performance levels weren't there. It wasn't the Sheffield United that we've come to recognise. It wasn't the United that we've come to know and love. Uh, so I think it was it was vitally important in that Arsenal game that they that, listen. You can't guarantee results uh, when you're playing against Premier League sides. You can't guarantee results against any side. You know, let, let's be right. But I think it was vitally important that they actually produced a performance and put a performance in in that game. They did that, and it was interesting uh, speaking to Chris after the game against Tottenham. To hear him talk, not only about him showing his softer side, although uh, we've spoken to him today and he did uh, he did give some interesting comments on that, uh, but to hear that the, the mood and the atmosphere around the training ground had completely been transformed after that Arsenal game, which which sounds strange to hear because they, they lost the match, but I think the players themselves recognised that they'd put a performance in, uh, that they'd sort of got back to doing what they do best. They had trouble. You know, Arsenal, for all their problems this season, they're, they're an established Premier League club with, with world-class talent in that squad. 
So I think they've clearly taken the, uh, I think they, they've clearly taken encouragement from that display, which was a lot better. It wasn't perfect, and it was great to actually see them against Tottenham improve on that and to take care of some of those sort of imperfections that they'd, that they'd shown against us. And, and at the end of the game, I think it's fair to say, probably cost them a place in the, in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. But it says something about a team, I think, that is quite willing to discuss its failings, is quite willing to recognise them, and then action upon them. And that's, that's what Sheffield United have done. I think they're a, they're a team that clearly can take ownership of their, of their own displays and take responsibility for them. And that, that's been one of the characteristics, not only of this season, but I think over the past four years, really. And I think it's one of the reasons why they've, uh, they've done as well as they have. Those little positives, Chris, they are really important for, for a side to build on in, in a situation like this where it is hard. We've talked about it before, how, how difficult a situation they are in. No supporters in stadiums, game after game after game coming along. So when you there is a danger of getting in a bit of a rut. So you find those little positives and areas of where things are starting to go right, and it can really catapult it forward. As as obviously we've seen with other nights' result, and we can read too much into it, but it does seem that it, it has an effect. What 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 sort of mood a camp is going into each game? Yeah, I think everything's kind of been magnified because of or amplified. Probably is the best way of putting it because of the the, the position we're in. Um, the sorry, I nearly lost my audio there. Um, like you say, whenever confidence, when you get, you have to take the confidence because they can't work on anything in training. There's no time to do anything. There's no time to go right. We need to right, lads. We need to sort this out. We're going to do this. Everything's all about rest and recovery and getting ready for the next match. So, every everything that Chris Wilder has to do is is probably centred around concentrating on the positives and just reminding them how good a team they actually are. Because, like I say, it's not as if he's going to have the opportunity to go, right, lads, we're going to sit and go spend all day on set plays here because they're coming in and they're just doing a warm down from the previous game and then they'll probably do a bit of analysis on, on who it is they're playing and, and that kind of stuff. And so it's just, like, like you say, you just take every little positive that you can and just try and amplify that as best you can. And that's what you saw on um, what I got, Thursday night. I've completely lost track of days. Yeah, Thursday, Thursday night. Um, they, it was clear that they had done. They, they went in right from the very start of the game. You could see that the two, I know Spurs had a, a half chance early on as well. But United really took the game to Tottenham from the first couple of minutes. And they showed all of those little things that had been missing, you know, the overlapping down, just getting men forward, everybody tracking back to get to get back and cover everything that that hadn't been happening in the previous. We, we've just got Sheffield United back and we've lost Chris. <laughs> <laughs> this always seems to happen when Chris comes on. Let's talk about it then, James. That 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 kind of uh, performance on Thursday night against Tottenham. Your your view on things. We've we've heard some of Chris's. We might get him back uh, shortly, but. What were your thoughts uh, on what happened at the lane on Thursday night? Yeah, I'd, I'd echo everything that Chris said there. And it was, it was interesting. The, the more I think about actually about what happened, and 
the more I think actually about the, the build-up to the game as well, I, I just wonder if, in a sense, it was almost like a, a good, perfect storm for Sheffield United. Because when, when we've spoken to the players during the build-up to games against Newcastle, during the build-up to games against Manchester United... And during the build-up to the games against uh, the game against Arsenal, none of those, obviously, in terms of results, finished that well. One, one of the themes that they kept mentioning, one of one of the common themes, was how difficult they'd actually found it without the support base inside grounds, be that the their own support or you know even not having the away support to to feed off. And when, when the team sheets came in before the game against Spurs and you saw that, that John Fleck wasn't going to be involved, you, you saw that John Lundstrom, as we all suspected, was going to be out. You saw that Jack O'Connell, once again, as we all suspected, wasn't on the team sheet. And you looked at a starting eleven uh, of 11 internationals that Jose Mourinho was able to name. I'm not going to lie. I think most of, you, most of us looked at those rosters and thought this this could be a long night and that's no disrespect disrespect to the likes of Ben Osborne who came in and Jack Jack Robinson who's who's played every game so far but on the face of it you would look at that and think to get a result against the Tottenham side that has got the likes of Harry Kane at its disposal has got the likes of you know Son Heung-min at their at its disposal Eric Dyer, Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen. You know, you, you would suspect that Sheffield United would have to name their starting eleven and be at their absolute maximum to get a result out of that game. I just wonder if going into that match with a, with a short-handed bench as well, because the, the, the lack of sort of Premier League squad depth has been exposed by these injuries in, in, in recent weeks, I just wonder if that sort of helped... I don't know, just sort of engender a sense of us against the world within Chris Wilder's squad. And it, and it enabled them to sort of find that extra motivation, that, that extra sort of encouragement and almost sense of purpose that I'm not going to say has been lacking in recent games, but certainly there hasn't been an intensity there up until the Arsenal match. Uh, you know, required to win games against top-flight opposition. And I just wonder if, that, you know, that, that brought them even closer together, the, the circumstances and the situation that they found them in before that game against Tottenham. Because the performance they produced was full of intensity. It, it, it had a real sense of purpose to it. And they deservedly won that game. I mean, clearly there was a, another sort of very contentious, contentious probably the wrong word, because in the laws of the game, it was, it was absolutely right. But, you know, controversial VAR decision. But make no mistake, Sheffield United deserved to win that game. And they won that game without some of their most influential performers this season. So, you know, what, what I take away from that is that Sheffield United have got that sort of, that bit between the teeth back. And I think they can also take great confidence in the fact that they've done it having to delve really, really deeply into their squad. And there were question marks about that at the start of the season. Did they have that depth of quality there? They don't have the depth of numbers. You've only got to look at the bench that Chris named against Spurs to see that. But I think the depth of quality 
is, is obviously a little bit greater than, than most of us thought it might be. And it was lovely, actually, to hear Chris today uh, say that, you know, losing the likes of John Fleck, losing the likes of Jack O'Connell, is it a, does it disrupt momentum? Yes, possibly it does. But he made the point of saying, you know, who's to say that Jack Robinson and Ben Robinson uh, and, and Ben Osborne, sorry, aren't the new Jack O'Connell and John Fleck? Now, listen, I suspect the minute those two are fit, they're straight back in the starting eleven. But it goes to show that I think even the manager is now getting even more confidence in, in some of the options that he's got at his disposal. And, and Jack Robinson and ben, ben Osborne will take huge confidence from that as well because I thought they were both magnificent the other night. Yeah, big performances from both of those, Chris, and, and also players that have took some criticism in, in recent games. Right, Some of the levels of criticism have been a little bit over the top, but we're looking at Sander Berger and Ollie McBurney, players who've come in for a little bit of stick and who perhaps needed to, to raise the levels a little bit, and they certainly did that on uh, on Thursday night too. I, I think if you you look at both of those, they're both players who have come with, with big price tags and a lot of expectation on them. Um, as far as McBurney's gone... I don't quite understand the criticism that he's been getting. Um, I think it's probably just people who think that every striker has to score goals. And you only have to look at, at David McGoldrick to know that you don't actually have to score goals to, to make a big impact in this team. Um, McBurney works very hard. He, does, he, he takes... I, I would hate to see what he looks like when he comes off the pitch because he looks like he takes a battering every single game. He goes up for every header. He's being elbowed out of the way. He's doing, I mean, to be fair to him, he's, he's not shy in doing it himself either. But he is in a battle every single game that he plays in. And so I, I think as far as he's concerned, that that criticism, I think, has been really unfair. Um, I don't know, Maybe perhaps people have just started noticing that. I, I don't, he did play well the other night. And there are games where he's just kind of a little bit off the boil. But I think he does that most games, if I'm honest. Um, as for Berger, I felt desperately sorry for him because he has come to a new league, a new team, with a very big price tag, certainly in, in Sheffield United terms. And he hadn't quite got going. And then the shutdown happened. And whenever he came back in, he was okay, well, didn't do anything special. But then he has grown with the rest of the team. He came off, he came off the bench against Arsenal for John Lundstrom, and he was really good then. And then on Thursday night, he was absolutely superb. And that was what everybody wanted, everybody was expecting to see. But you can't just expect that straight away. Sometimes people are going to take a little while to get used to new club and new league and different players that you're playing against. I mean, let's let's be honest, there's a hell of a difference between play, playing in the Belgian... Um, I, I was going to give you the proper Belgian name for the league, but the top flight will do. There's a big difference between playing in that than playing in the Premier League. And, and it's going to take you a while to get used to it. And, and it looks like he has. That's not to say that, you know, we can't raise our expectations again about that he's going to be playing like that every week. He, he, he possibly won't. But just to see him play the way he did last night, his movement off the ball, his passing, 
the way he broke into the box, the way he tracked back to help help the defence. He looked like a player who had been playing in that Sheffield United team for quite some time. And also, just going back on what James said there about, about players coming into the team, Chris Wilder needs to take a huge amount of credit for the way that those players have been able to come in and do a job for him. I think George Ball. I wasn't in the press conference today, James, but I think George Baldock touched on it today about... Yeah. About... I think it says a lot about the squad that players who aren't actually playing, there's no moaning. They just come in, do a job, knowing that they may already be getting a couple of games and they're back out again. But that it's not happening. They're not, they're not banging on the door saying, oh, why am I not in the team again? They're just coming in, doing a job that they're asked to do, and they'll happily do the, that job as well, and then crack on and wait for their chance again. I think you've seen that. With, I think a good example is is John Lundstrom and Sander Berge. You see a, a team play, a team pays tremendous amount of money, and then uh, for a player, and you think, well, that's probably spell, spelling the end of John Lundstrom's time in the in the team, certainly. But he has been given that opportunity to, when when if Berge's dropped off, Lundstrom's had an opportunity, or he has an opportunity to come off the bench. There will be opportunities for these players, and particularly during this period as well, when. There's so many games and, and they are such a smaller squad. You're going to get an opportunity to, to, to impress and it's about taking it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. And just touching on what Chris has said there, he, I, I mean, I, I endorse everything he's said. I think the, the, the thing that needs pointing out as well is that for people like Ben Osborne and for people like Jack Robinson, and there's, there's plenty of others in that squad as well, Let's get this right. Like, up until up until lockdown, or this sort of semi-permanent, is it a lockdown, is it not? Listen, I'm not going to get all political on you, don't worry. But they, they actually couldn't complain that they weren't starting games because the starting 11 pretty much selected itself. And that is no reflection on what is there deeper in, into, into the squad. It's just a reflection of how well that starting 11 had done. So I, I actually think that if the likes of Ben Osborne, you know, in a quiet moment sat down, because of course there will have been frustration amongst players that they weren't playing. No, no player joins a football club. No player works hard to, be, to become a professional, you know, to think, great, I'm sat on the bench again. They, they, they all want to play. But I think in a quiet moment, if he was being honest with himself, and indeed he has admitted this, He'll have thought, you know what, if I was in that starting eleven, I would want the same faith, the same support for my manager not to get kicked out of it when I'm, when I'm doing so well. I think the, the key now and the challenge actually for the players who have come in is to make them impossible to drop. You know, and it is a big challenge because John Fleck's a great player, Jack O'Connell's a great player, but th- this is football. You know, that, this is the nature of the beast, especially at the highest level. And just, just scrolling back very quickly on Sander and, and Ollie, you're right, Ollie McBurney's been doing this all year. I remember a game against Oxford, right at Oxford, sorry, against Watford, right at the beginning of the, of the season. And, you know, it wasn't one of Sheffield United's great performances. It wasn't one of Ollie's great performances either, but... You know, he absolutely ran himself into the ground that afternoon. And he spent 90 minutes, you know, if you, if you want to sort of come up with an, with an analogy, just flinging himself against a brick wall, basically, to try and break down that Watford defence. And he kept on doing it. 
you know, he didn't get disheartened. I can think of another performance when he did that against uh, Everton as well at the, at the beginning of the campaign. And he's learning on the job. Sheffield United cannot, they are not in a situation at the moment in terms of their top flight development where they can go out and buy an established Premier League goal scorer. They can't afford it one in terms of the transfer fee. They certainly can't afford one in terms of the wages that players like that command. So they're going to have to buy players who are learning on the Premier League job, as it were. And, you know, I think Ollie, as I say, is doing everything that you could ask of him. There will come a point, though, where he's going to have to start scoring more goals. He's going to have to start scoring more regularly uh, than he is at the moment. And once again, that's not a criticism. That's just the way it is. Because, you know, for all the fact that we can sit here and say, well done, and the same to Sander, you know, other Premier League teams won't be giving them a free pass because they're developing and they're learning on the job. It's, it's a tough, ruthless division, this. And it's a tough, ruthless game. So I think it's great that we're beginning to see, you know, improvement from these players because that's exactly what they've got to do, not only for themselves in terms of their own starting positions, but also for Sheffield United Football Club as well. You touched on it a little bit earlier, James, in terms of what Chris Wilder had been saying about doing things a little bit differently or showing that softer side. What, what did he have to say about that? Well, he... he he wasn't quite as soft in his, uh, in his pre-match for the Burnley game because he said, uh, he, he did just have a little dig where he said, you know, he said, I, I looked at my players and he said, they were pretty soft against Newcastle and against Manchester United. So he said, I decided I had to be even softer during the build-up to the, to the game against Tottenham, which was, was pretty soft indeed, he said, so to sort of paraphrase the, the manager. But no, joking aside, I think one of Chris... Chris Wilder's greatest strengths is actually the man management side of things, knowing the individual characters within his squad. And clearly what he's done, I think he'd looked at the atmosphere around the training ground uh, during the build-up and after that Arsenal game, and he decided it was pretty flat. And, you know, we're privileged enough to get a little bit of an insight behind the scenes and to sort of see behind the scenes uh, at the training ground and it is it's a, it's a really upbeat place you know there's lots of laughter there's lots of laughing and joking and clearly it hadn't been that during the build-up or, or after that Arsenal game so I think he'd taken a conscious decision that rather than just keep criticising and calling out players which is something that he's perfectly entitled to do I think he decided to put a little bit of, a, of an arm around them and just remind them that they're you know you're good players you're still in a good position and you're still perfectly capable of getting back to the heights that you'd set before, before lockdown. And they clearly responded to that. And sometimes, you know, as much as, as, I think as much as footballers do get an easy ride at some clubs where, you know, I hate to hear managers excusing everything that, that, that top flight and, and top flight footballers do. Because I think that creates problems on and off the pitch. But sometimes they're only human and I think they do need a little bit of an arm around the shoulder and, and that's what they've got this week. And, you know, I think everybody on the, on the coaching staff can, can look back on their own body of work during the build-up to the Tottenham game and, and feel pretty satisfied with it. How can you not after a, after a result and a performance like that? Chris, I'm sure that you'll have enjoyed 
the little embrace between Chris and uh, Jose Mourinho after the game? Yeah, <clears throat> I'm not sure if it uh, went what the social distancing guidelines or not. It looked like it was it was quite a loving. But, um, yeah, I, I I liked it, but on the other hand, I didn't like it as well because it was a bit like Mourinho trying to muscle himself in on somebody else's moment whatever do you know what I mean I, I don't like, think you can accuse Jose Mourinho of doing something like that <laughs> no I, I, I just there was a little bit of stealing in the spotlight away that I, that I didn't quite like but it, but it is good you know it is good to see that, that Chris Wilder and, and Sheffield United are being you know acknowledged and and given the credit that, it, that they deserve by managers of the likes of Jose Mourinho at, at clubs like Tottenham I'm 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 gonna be I'm gonna go easy on Jose here. I actually think what that was, I think he that was a, a an absolutely world class manager recognising a job well done by a fellow manager. And the reason I say that is I know he was he was very, very keen to to speak to Chris actually in private as well after the after the game. You know, I mean, there's, I think as we all know, there's an awful lot of, of media work that, that Premier League managers have to do after matches now. Uh, and it does take up an awful lot of their time. And Jose, Chris actually touched on this. I think he was, he was quite touched by it. And I think he really appreciated it. You know, we said that Jose effectively held the Tottenham bus up, or one of their three buses that they'll have come on at the moment, to purposefully stay behind and, and have a word and have a talk with himself and his and his coaching staff. And I, I know he was very, very sort of uh, very impressed with the job that Sheffield United did, uh, both before, during and, and, and indeed after that game. Because I know they went out and got a couple of bottles of red for him. He did look touched, uh, Chris, at the time, actually, on that, on that clip. It, it, it was good. It was a good moment. Um, just moving away from, from the game like then. He, last he, was gonna cry. He, he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you know what, though? Jo- joking aside, actually, on that, let, let's put ourselves in Chris's position here. Because I think sometimes we forget he's done such a, 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 a brilliant job and he leads the club so well, or the public face of it so well. This is still a really exciting season for him on a personal level as well. You know, this is this is something new for him, managing at, at Premier League level, which at his own town club, of course he will be, he'll be immensely proud to do, but ultimately he's a football manager. Jose Mourinho, for all people can knock what's gone on in his sort of his his, his recent in recent seasons, and for all people can say, oh, he's not special anymore, and you know, let, let's all have a bit of a laugh and a bit of a dig at Jose and let's all enjoy it when things aren't going quite as well for him. This manager is still one of the greatest managers to, to patrol a technical area in football at the moment. You know, he's a two-times Champions League winner. He's won God knows how many trophies in English football. He's, he's won Premier League titles. He's managed Real Madrid. He's managed Inter. He, you know, he took Porto to the... To, to you know, turn them into European champions. This bloke is a you know he's a managerial genius. I, I don't care what what anybody else says. 
So if I was a Premier League manager and I had someone coming, you know, like that, coming to me and saying, well done, James, good job there. I'd be really touched by that as well. I'd be personally really, really proud and, and satisfied. And yeah, do you know what? It probably would make me a little bit emotional as well. Yeah, good moment. Good moment. I'll remember to praise you more, James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you should interrupt him. Don't, don't Chris. Calls yeah. and give him a little... Uh, little <laughs> That'd be good. That'd be good. Big news away from uh, the game on Thursday night this week was uh, the sort of final completion of the uh, the purchase of Sheffield United by uh, Prince Abdullah, James. What difference will that have made? Um, it's been a long sort of running saga and now that seems to be finally complete. What what difference will that make to Sheffield United, do you think? Probably a bigger one, to be honest, than than a lot of people perhaps think because, you know, without getting into the rights and the wrongs and the, the whys and the wherefores and whatever side of the, of the fence you want, uh, Sheffield United need to be focused on football in order to sort of survive and, and, and grow at Premier League level. And I think what it does, whether you're a Prince Abdullah fan, whether you're a Kevin McCabe fan, you know, whether you, you actually just don't care and you're only bothered about results, I think what that does, certainly from the, the coaching staff's point of view, it, it enables them now just, I think, to focus totally on football because... Although you will hear people saying, you know, listen, we, especially when clubs are in trouble, we, we don't take any notice of what's going on behind the scenes. It's just a complete and utter nonsense. Why, you know, why would you not take notice of, of what's going on at your, your place of work? And I think somebody like Chris Wilder, I think for somebody like Billy Sharp, are, are obviously not just Sheffield United players, but Sheffield United fans as well. They, they'll have been keeping a a really close eye in terms of what's going on. And I think the other important thing that it does do now, uh, and see what the, what the new owners do, I think it gives them the, the opportunity, and, and they've got to take this now, to help sort of, you know, rebuild and bring some of the infrastructure behind the scenes up to, up to Premier League standard. They, they now own the club and its associated properties. And it gives them an opportunity to, to sort of make those sweat in a, in a way that they'll want to, to make them sweat. Clearly, it's a, you know, it, it's a regime that's got very different ideas to the, to the previous one. Uh, and so what they've done now, by bringing it all under the, under the football club's umbrella and by effectively now, you know, officially becoming the club's owners... Uh, I know, you know, we refer to them as the club's owners after that high court judgment, but that in, it, you know, to, to properly become owners of the club, you know, Mr. Justice Fancourt awarded Prince Abdullah uh, victory in that high court hearing, said that he had to complete these these property purchases by July the first. It gives him the opportunity now, I think, to really stamp his mark on the football club and implement some of the things that he'll want to implement. So I think it will be fascinating to see how that develops. Like I say, whichever side of the fence you're on, I think it was, it was vitally important this, this got done because clubs that are disharmony, you know, that have disharmony behind the scenes. I know Sheffield United, you know, in, 
were, were for a while exceptions to that particular rule when they got promoted from the championship and when they were, you know, when, when they made such a great start to the Premier League season. But I think, you know, both Prince Abdullah and Kevin McKay would, would admit that, you know, that situation couldn't continue if Sheffield United were going were, were gonna to succeed or give themselves the, the best possible chance of succeeding long term. Kind of promised some uh, exciting announcements to follow. Have you got any insight into what they might be? Yeah, I mean, certainly developing the the training ground is is one of the one of the things that I know they're looking at. I suspect those plans are probably going to have to get sort of kicked back into the longish grasp because of what's happened with the obviously the health crisis and the financial effect that that that's had on English football. But there's nothing to stop them, you know, outlining what they plan to do and, and how they plan to develop the Steelfort Academy. And I know there's plans for the ground as well, uh, you know, in terms of sort of improving the, the support experience there. So I, I, I suspect we'll see uh, sort of guidance and, 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 and a few things spoken about how they plan to to sort of develop the, the club's infrastructure over the next couple of weeks. When that takes place, you know, who knows? Uh, because, you know, as I've just said, what COVID-19, it's not just had a, a big impact on the nation and the, and the world's sort of health. It's had a, it's had a big, big impact on, on English football as well, even at, the, even at the highest level. And all of the things we've talked about obviously cost money to do. So, but there's, there's, there's nothing to stop Sheffield United actually you know, talking about how they how they plan to develop these things. And they and they need to develop them as well. You know, better players, good quality players, established Premier League players, which they'll hope to be signing in the in the coming seasons. You know, they, they will look at things like the training ground and they will use uh, you know what what they discover there as a as a basis upon which they'll sort of choose which, which clubs to sign for and, and which clubs to go for. So I think it's, it's vitally important that gets done. James, let's talk then, well, some a little bit of the sort of rumour mill beginning to grind into life for uh, Sheffield United. Reading's John Swift. What can you tell us about that sort of rumour uh, at this point? Yeah, I mean, it would be a player that Sheffield United are looking at. He fits the... He fits the profile. He's a really good player. He's certainly a player that, that, that Chris Wilder admires. I don't think, you know, John Swift will be, will be short of, of admirers and, and short of suitors in, in this summer's transfer market. And they've, they've got to add competition in the squad. Uh, you know, and he'll be someone who, in terms of his valuation, I think will be very much within, within Sheffield United's reach. You know, and yeah, I, I think I think he'd be a really, really good addition to the squad. I know Leeds are looking at him as well, uh, so there there is competition there. But yeah, good, good, good player, good player, John Swift, and uh, I think certainly one of you know one of a number of players in the Championship who I think is more than capable of of making the step up to Premier League level. Because what I will say is, you know, he's looked very, very good for Reading, and. I mean this with no disrespect to, to Mark Bowen and his squad, but you suspect that somebody like John Swift would look even better with, with better players around him as well. Yeah. 
always good to know the rumour mill's not been too unduly affected by the uh, what's no. been going on in the world. <laughs> but we'll move on then to uh, United's game this weekend. Continue to come thick and fast. It's Burnley away on Sunday. A battle of uh, Britain in managerial terms, and certainly managerial terms of people that have had success this season uh, in Chris Wilder and uh, Sean Dyche. And something that Chris has touched upon uh, today as he's been talking about this game coming up. Yeah, a battle of two British managers and a battle of two really good mates as well, clearly, because it's, it's almost been like a loving between Chris and, and Sean during the during the build-up to this. Very very unlike both of them, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but no, clearly there's a, there's a huge amount of respect there and you, you can see why, because... They both play very different ways. They've both got very different styles. They've they've both got, you know, different ideas on, on how the game should be played, but they've also got an awful lot in common as well. And, you know, that, that goes beyond nationality. It's two managers who have had to uh, sort of build their way up. They've, they've not had any any help getting to Premier League level. They've both had to get teams promoted to... Uh, to you know, to 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 get, give themselves the opportunity of managing at the highest level in this country, and I think as well when you look at the the financial sort of situation that both clubs are in, Burnley clearly have a lot more money to spend than than Sheffield United because they you know they have established themselves at the at the highest level, and as well as Sheffield United have done this season, that's something that they've still got to do because next season will be will be tough if not tougher than the than, than the one that you know is, is shortly going to conclude but it's two managers I think who both have to sort of sign this is the wrong way of putting it but almost imperfect Premier League players and develop players sign players with the potential to to become Premier League players it's two managers who aren't afraid to give players from the championship an opportunity to uh, to play at the highest level in the in the game and aren't afraid of the challenge of coaching them and helping them become established top flight footballers. So yeah, as much as Sean and Chris are, are very different managers with very different sort of philosophies, and I, I always kick myself when I when I use that word because we're not talking about Nietzsche or Kant or anything like that. But you know they. They've got an awful lot in in common as well, so I I can see why they've got a lot of respect for each other. I, I really can, and you know they they they're clearly good friends away from the game as well. They've both got that side of things as well, where it shows how good a managers they are. Because you talked about signing what you probably term imperfect Premier League players, but they managed to put together teams that are probably greater than the sum of the parts by. What, how they get them working on the pitch and, and kind of binded together and producing that overall performance. They've, been, they've both been very good at that. Um, Sean over several years and Chris over these, certainly over these three years at Sheffield United. Yeah, absolutely spot on. That, that, that's the sign of a really good manager for me. Uh, listen, and I'm, I'm going to be slightly sort of daft about this, but I know people say, well, you know, I can go out and if you if you give me a checkbook big enough to sign the best players in the world, I could deliver you a, a, a Premier League title winning squad. Listen, there's more to it than that. There's there's a lot more to it if you if you Pep Guardiola and if you're Jurgen Klopp, uh, you know, and having that money and dealing with players like that brings a different set of challenges. 
So they don't have easy jobs either. But what I will say is if you've got a big checkbook, if you've got a huge amount of money at your disposal, it gives you a head start. You know, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Jose Mourinho, Frank Lampard, they, they, they can't deny that. You know, it, it, it does give you a, a better chance of, of winning a trophy and it does give you a better chance of, of thrusting yourself into the sort of the European conversation. So I think if you're a manager as, as, as Sean is and as Chris is who can, can do that without having, that, you know, those, those huge reserves of cash that other teams have got, I think it's the sign of a, of a really, really good manager. I, I, I do because, you know, another reason why I think it's, it's the sign of a, of a really good manager is they've got to have good people around them to do that. They've, they've got to be able to identify good coaches. They've got to be able to identify good heads of recruitment to be able to do that. And, you know, that's certainly something that Sheffield United and Chris Wilder has got around himself at the moment. That's certainly something that Sean Dyche has managed to build and, and create at, at Turf Moor. You know, it, and again, you know, as much as Sean and Chris will get all the plaudits for this, and quite rightly so, because they're ultimately responsible for the hiring and firing and the people that they bring in. You know, I think all credit to the teams that they've got around them as well, because I've, I've said it before, you know, and he's not the only one. I'm going to undo my own argument here by doing this, but someone like Paul Mitchell at Sheffield United, you know, the, the, the credit that guy deserves. He, he doesn't get anywhere near the recognition outside of Bramall Lane. That, that he, you know, that he deserves. It really, really does. Phenomenal job done by done by Paul Mitchell since he came into the football club. And so, do you know what? I'm I'm just going to try and rectify that that now by by doing that. But but Chris will be the first one to tell you. He'll he'll be the first one to talk up people like that. Yeah, yeah. Will be an interesting game on uh, on Sunday. Selection wise, I know we're, we're less than a day out from uh, from the Tottenham game, but what do we think that Chris will have available to him on uh, on Sunday? Yeah, pretty much the same as he did against Tottenham. Uh, John Lundstrom's going to miss the game. He'll be out for a couple of weeks. John Fleck, the same. Leon Clark, Jack O'Connell. You know, listen, I mean, Chris said the other day that he's back on the grass. Uh, you know, no jokes, please. He, he, he didn't mean training. But, you know... the. The interesting thing is, you know, what type of training is he doing? Once again, he didn't appear on the team sheet. I don't expect to see him, you know, on the team sheet at Turf Moor, although I'll quite happily be, quite gladly be proved wrong. So I think it's going to be pretty much the same. And do you know what? I think even if he did have some other players at his disposal, even if there were people coming back from injury, I think he'd be very, very reluctant to, to change it after that performance. Against uh, against Spurs, you know there will be times when managers during during the running are going to have to go against that old sort of that old maxim of never change a winning team because the the you know the fixtures are coming so thick and fast. But I I wouldn't be at all surprised to see the same starting eleven if I'm honestly really really wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone would be too disappointed to see that either. No, certainly not after uh, after Thursday night. Well, we managed to uh, not even bring up Europe in uh, in that one, and whether the uh, European charges back on. But maybe next week when we reconvene to 
assess that game uh, against Burnley. Uh, hopefully another win for uh, Sheffield United. But that's pretty much it for now from uh, this, this episode of the Star Blades. Uh, as I said, we will be bringing you episodes regularly, hoping to uh, go twice weekly whenever we can. So try and do that next week. Uh, so watch out for uh, the next episode early on. Uh, in ne- uh, next week after that uh, Burnley game make sure that you don't miss an episode subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from you can follow us on Twitter at the Star Blades and we've also got our own dedicated Sheffield United Facebook page so have a search on Facebook for that for all the latest news and of course notifications of uh, when a new episode of this podcast will drop and of course head over to uh, the star.co.uk for all the latest news views and analysis of all things Sheffield United and let's face it, the best news, views and analysis of Sheffield United that's out there. Uh, subscribe to the website, a pound for the first three months. You'll have heard me said this if you've listened to the podcast before, but a pound for the first three months, that is nothing compared to what you get back in terms of quality content and coverage of uh, Sheffield United. So have a look for the link for the subscription uh, as well. Um, other than that, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, take care, and uh, we'll speak to you again very soon. Thanks very much. Head over to the star.co.uk for all the latest news, views, and analysis of all things Sheffield United. Follow us on Twitter at the Star Blades or search for our dedicated United Facebook group. And remember that you can rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from.